You know, growing up, I was taught that keeping your salvation was something that you had to do, that you had to work at. And I love the promises of that song. It's, it's God who holds us fast. It's not based on our works of righteousness that we are saved, and it's not based on our works of righteousness that keep us saved. Tremendous truths in that song. I hope it was a, an encouragement to you. I do want to take one more moment this morning and welcome our guests. If you're here with us for the first time this morning, we are thankful that you're here with us today. Uh, you can help us out by filling out our guest card. You can access it through the QR code that is on the screen behind me. It's actually also printed on a card in front of you in the pew. And you can use your smartphone and scan that, and that will take you to a card where you can just tell us a little, a little bit about yourself, and uh, then we can answer any questions that you have about the ministry. So we encourage you at some point before you leave today, if you could help us out by uh, filling that out. Also, if you have questions about the ministry, you've been here more than once or twice, and you still have questions, or you're interested in some of the opportunities that Pastor Brian mentioned in the video at the beginning of our service, you can use that same code and uh, contact us through that as well. We would invite that, and thank you for doing so. Also, I want to thank you for your consistent uh, financial giving and support of the ministry here at Grace. I know that uh, inflation and other issues in our culture are, are certainly making things challenging, but we thank you for your continued financial support. And just to remind you that there are three ways that you can give. You can give through the boxes that are on the wall behind, uh, straight back and straight in front of me on the back wall. You can also continue to give online, and we have also introduced text to give, and so any of those processes uh, work for you. We would certainly uh, pray that you would continue to support the ministry. We do thank you very much for your faithful support uh, of the ministry here at Grace. Today we are pressing on in our study of the life of David. And before we get to our text, I want to say this. We have arrived at one of the most difficult texts to preach. Um, I am expositional by nature as a preacher, I do that because it is very tempting when we come to texts that are not popular or not fun or uncomfortable, that it's very easy to just conveniently skip them. Well, we are going to, with that being said, we are going to skip ahead in the life of David after chapter 13. We are going to still study his life for a few more weeks. But as expositional expositor of the word, we understand that texts are given to us on purpose for our instruction. I do want to say, this is maybe for some of you in particular, and I'll explain more in just a moment, for some of you, this passage may be very hard to hear. And I want you to know that as we get into this, I have been praying for you, not by name, because I may or may not know who you are, but I am praying for those of you um, that have experienced what we are going to talk about today. Um, it is a very real issue that we as a church have to address because culturally it is a problem and it's also a problem that the church unfortunately has not always done an effective job at addressing. So maybe I have piqued your interest today, but we are in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And some of you may be confused because you don't know the story that we are going to look at today. But I will tell you a little bit up front, assuming that maybe some of you are not super familiar with the horrific events that happened in chapter 13. 
David's sin with Bathsheba, recorded for us in chapter 11, followed up with us in chapter 12, was horrible enough. But now, as we look at the fallout from David's decision, his sin against God with Bathsheba, his harmful decision to use Bathsheba in a horrible way, that now his son is going to go a step further. And it's tragic, and it's heartbreaking. We are dealing with an issue of sexual sin again, unfortunately. And you and I both know that headlines today are filled with accounts of sexual assault. There seems to be no sector of our world today that is exempt from these issues. From high-profile athletes that we see consistently, NFL players and others, guilty of sexual assault, to school employees, public school employees who take advantage of students, and horribly, even people in ministry who have egregiously sinned against people under their care sexually. I want to say that is why boundaries in our children's ministry are in place. That is why we do background checks on anybody and everybody who will have contact with children. That is why we have a six-month wait list for people who want to be involved in our children's ministry. That is why we practice a two-person rule that two people are with children all the time. In ministry, this may shock you, but in ministry, I cannot count the number of people that I have counseled who have been through the horrors of sexual abuse. I have counseled with my, along with my wife, by the way, women who have been abused by selfish men. I have abused, I have, strike that line, please. <laughs> I have counseled with men who have been abused by men and even some by women. This is a tragic part of our culture. You may be here today, and you may be a survivor of sexual abuse. You may be here today, and you are someone who is married to someone who has experienced sexual abuse. You may be here this morning, and you are shocked that we are having this conversation. You may be shocked that this sinful world in which we live is filled with people who have experienced exactly what is going to take place in this horrific chapter of Scripture. At Grace Baptist Church, we will never cover sexual sin. Denominations today, and I won't name any, you're probably following the news the same as I am, but there are denominations today that are facing this in a very real way that have mishandled, in my judgment, sexual abuse that has happened under their care. And it is never okay. Never okay. The consequences of David's sin is unraveling. They're going to multiply very quickly. In fact, what is interesting about King Saul, if you remember all the way back to him, his problems and challenges... 
and his kingship came from outside. They came from the Philistines. They came from outside external enemies. And yet David's problems are going to begin to develop internally within his own family, his own son. God's principles and commandments are given to us for our protection. And when David selfishly chose to step outside of what God had ordained and sinned with, sinned against God and sinned against Bathsheba, he now opens the door for the heartbreak that we are going to read about in chapter 13 and the division that is going to take place in his home and in his family. Nathan proclaimed this, the prophet Nathan, in chapter 12, verses 10 and 12. He said, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, David, because you have despised me, and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will rise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives and your eyes before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son and we'll get to that text later for you did it in secret but I will do this thing before all of Israel before the son so the road for David is now going to get very very rocky well let's look at this horrible chapter together begin reading with me in 2nd Samuel Chapter 13, just the first two verses to begin. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, by a different mother, loved her. Loved her. Oh, we're going to talk about that word. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her let's pray and look at this text father I pray today that as we look through this emotional chapter that you would open our eyes and hearts to the horrors of sexual abuse and that we may as a church be mindful of the harm that some of the people under the sound of my voice have experienced and maybe are currently experiencing because this has happened to them. And so, God, I pray through my feeble attempt this morning that our our minds would be reminded of the horrors of sin that none of us are immune to. And, God, may we learn from this text to care for those that have experienced this sin against them and that we may be forever on guard in our own lives, that we may never fall to such heinous activity. So God, bless this time together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The destruction of our sinful choices doesn't just involve us. It involves others, too. And this morning, as we work through this text, we're going to look at four stages along the pathway to sin. And we're going to look at the first one from these first two verses, that the pathway to sin begins... With, the, with sin's intoxicating lure. It's interesting to me that the writer of 2 Samuel uses Absalom's name in verse 1. He uses Absalom's name to introduce this account because it is going to fit in the overriding context of the events that eventually are going to 
involve Absalom, who is one of David's sons. Tamar is introduced here to us, whose name is Tamar, verse 1, is the sister of Absalom. They have the same father, David. They have the same mother. Now, in ancient Near Eastern culture, obviously we've talked about the issue of polygamy before. We won't belabor that here today. But in polygamous families, it was very common that children who shared the same mother, in addition, assuming they had the same father, that those that shared the same mother had a very close personal relationship with each other. So the writer of 2 Samuel tells us that Absalom, who is David's son, has a sister, a full-blooded sister, whose name is Tamar. That dynamic will unravel in the next few sermons. Amnon is introduced to us in this text as well. He is also David's son. Tamar's half-brother. By the way, Amnon, if you're not familiar with him, he was David's firstborn. In 2 Samuel 3, 2, we are first introduced to him. He is next in line for the throne. He is the crown prince. He's next. If something should happen to David, David's firstborn is Amnon. He would be the one who would be king next. But I want to draw your attention to a word. That because I know this story, and maybe you know this story, and maybe you don't, but there is a word here that troubles me. When it says that David's son loved her, loved Tamar, I want you to think about this word love. It's a common word. It's a word that we use in our English language very flippantly. And the ESV translates this word love to describe what Amnon feels for his half-sister Tamar, and this word troubles me because this is anything but love. In fact, as a culture, we have undermined the biblical idea of love, and we have blurred the lines of love and infatuation and lust. It's interesting to me, as we'll learn a little bit more about Tamar as this account unfolds, that she was a faithful daughter. She was a faithful woman. She was Someone committed to following God. It's implicit here that she was a woman of virtue. She's described physically as a beautiful woman, but I would submit to you that her beauty was not merely external. She was a beautiful woman in her character too. She was a lovely woman. But notice it says that Amnon loved her, that he was smitten by her he was tormented by her notice the description it says that he was frustrated with her he says in verse 3 or excuse me verse 2 that he was tormented that he made himself sick he was so attracted to her that he became physically ill he was obsessed with his sister now it tells us here that she was a virgin she had never been with a man Amnon is frustrated because he is attracted to her, but he's also frustrated because he had no access to her. As a princess, it is very possible that she had guards with her all of the time, that there would be people around her watching her to make sure that she was never harmed. 
And David's unbridled sexual appetite now is taken to a greater extreme in his son Amnon. We're going to learn that the apple did not fall far from the tree. Now, I said that I was troubled by the word loved as the ESV translates the word um, also, King James, I believe, translates the word as love. Nasby translates it as love. But I would suggest to you that this word could be translated a couple of different ways. And I would argue one way, particularly one translation, gets the understanding of this word the best. I'll give it to you in just a second. NIV uses the word not loved, but obsessed. The, new, the, the net or the new English translation uh, translates verse 1 this way. David's son Amnon fell madly in love with her. I like the phrase fell. Can't control it. Out of control desire. The Christian Standard Bible to me translates verse 1 of this chapter the best. It captures the nuance of this word. Sometime past, David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And David's son Amnon was infatuated with her. Our culture has confused infatuation with love. Now, you may be confused and say, well, what does infatuated mean? Well, it means to be made fatuous. Haha, <laughs> you can't define a word with a word. I understand that, the same word. Fatuous means to be silly or idiotic or illusionary. Infatuation can be defined this way, an intense but short-lived passion or adoration for someone or something. You get that? It is short. It is short-lived. It is for something or someone that is intense. It is fire. It is burning in our soul. Our culture loves songs that just talk about being smitten by love and overtaken by love. And I have fallen head over heels with that person. And yet I would suggest to you that infatuation is far more what Amnon is experiencing here because he does not have anybody's interest in mind but his own. It is in complete contrast to the biblical idea of love. Biblical love is primarily a choice, not an accident, not a feeling or emotion, while certainly not devoid of feelings and not devoid of emotion. Biblical love purposefully and intentionally serves other people and places the legitimate needs of others above our own. The word falling in love or infatuation in a sense, removes personal responsibility. And our culture loves this feeling, this desire. And yet, in reality, what we have here in this text is an act of absolute selfishness. So Amnon begins this pathway by being intoxicated by, by temptation. Much like David much like David when he stood on the rooftop and he saw Bathsheba and he lusted after her and he said, I have to have her. Amnon is doing the same and it's to the point he's lovesick. And folks, he's not a 12-year-old writing love notes to his little girlfriend. He's an adult. But it gets worse. And if you're a parent or you are a teenager or you're a college kid, or you're anything else. I want you to listen to what happens next. Because the lure of sin is an internal thing. This started with Amnon. This is his own lust in his eyes and his lust for his own half-sister. 
But the pathway to sin is often encouraged by ungodly friendships. Notice what happens in verse 3. But Amnon had a friend. Actually, he's his, he is, his, this man is his cousin, actually. They're related. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. This is David's nephew. This is Amnon's cousin. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Cunning. Shrewd. This word is sometimes used positively. Here it is used negatively. I have met, I have never met a Jezebel, a girl, a human being named Jezebel in my life. Never. But I have met one young man when I was coaching football. I had a football player and his first name was Jonadab. I remember thinking to myself, what did your parents do to you? <laughs> this man is the male Jezebel. Notice what happens. And he said to him, him being Amnon, O son of the king, why are you so haggard this morning? The word haggard is thin, emaciated. It's crushed. Morning after morning, you look haggard. You look thin. You look worn. Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Oh, I can just kind of hear the the gears turning in Janadab, Janadab, uh, you can't say his name now. Jonadab, there you go. Jonadab's mind, his crafty mind, his shrewd mind. The wheels are turning. And Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes in to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food of my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. It's a crafty plan. His friend, his cousin, tells him, here's what we're going to do. We're going to set up a plan where you can get access to Tamar, where she will come into you so you can get access to her. Amnon's sexual craving for his half-sister is now, the, the, the fuel behind that is now fanned by Jonadab, by his wicked friend, knowing and understanding that scripture repeatedly, and I won't give you all of them for sake of time, but let me just read a couple of them, repeatedly says that this relationship between Amnon and Tamar, Tamar was absolutely, categorically outside of God's will. John, Leviticus 18.9 You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family or in another home. This is forbidden. Leviticus 18.11 You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife, daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. I'm on a roll. Let me give you a couple more. Leviticus 20, verse 17. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace. And they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. 
Deuteronomy 27:22, cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say amen. Amnon, like people in our culture, they hear what's right, they hear what's wrong. The problem is they don't want to hear it. They want what they want, whether God said it's sin or not. They're going to do what they're going to do. Now add in a friend who comes and says, Amnon, I got a plan for you, buddy. You want your sister? I'll help you get what you want because you deserve it, Amnon. Young people, if a friend, quote unquote, friend ever encourages you to disregard and disobey Scripture or your parents, they are not your friend. Jonadab was no friend to Amnon, he was his own family. And rather than him looking at Amnon and saying, you know, you know what scripture says. This is wrong. You can't do this. You can't sin against God, John, uh, Amnon, because you're going to bring disgrace upon yourself and upon, get this, the person you claim to love. If he actually loved Tamar, this would not be even in his mind. He wouldn't even be thinking about it. And Jonadab is clearly no friend. In fact, Proverbs 13, 20, 20 tells us, The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Young people, listen to me. The friends you choose greatly will influence and impact the road your life takes. Choose them wisely. Amnon, well, it's family for one thing, but Amnon likes Jonah, Jonadab's plan. This is a good plan. Let's do it. And so now the pathway to sin, as we're going to see, becomes very difficult to escape once we start running down this path. Notice what happens. And let's pick up in verse uh, 6. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar. Obviously, Amnon's an adult. He has his own house. He sends back to the palace to send Tamar. And he says, Go into your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house where he was lying down. And she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him. But he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. There's people there. Whether they're guards for Tamar or whoever they are, he has everybody dismissed. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring food into my chamber, into my bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar, again, she is a woman of character. She is a godly woman. Why is she there? She's there to serve her brother. She's, she's there because her father asked her to go and to help her brother who is ill. That seems like a profoundly reasonable thing. And Tamar took the cakes that she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon, her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said, Come lie with me, my sister. Now, Amnon's first attempt is to lure her lure her with his winning personality, I guess. This is a word of seduction. She's 
Just come to bed with me. Let's sleep together. But notice her answer, no, my brother. Do not violate me. For such a thing is not done in Israel. And do not do this outrageous thing. Don't do this. This is wrong. This is wrong because God said it's wrong. It is outside of God's plan for sexuality. It is outside of God's will. Tamar pleads with him and begs, don't do this. By the way, I have been, as I mentioned, with my wife in my presence, hearing women who have been sexually assaulted, blaming themselves. Tamar did nothing wrong. Nothing she was there to serve. She was there to help. Amnon is the one who egregiously takes advantage of the situation and uses his own sister for his selfishness. Verse 13, as for me, where could I carry my shame, she says. And as for you, you would be one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Amnon, if you love me, why would you disgrace me like this? I will face a lifetime of disgrace and shame. And you, Amnon, think this through. You're going to be considered an outrageous fool in Israel. She's right, because we're talking about him today. And he was a fool. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. Now, not to get into the weeds of this, that was forbidden too for him to marry her. But she's arguing, at least marry me. She doesn't say never, but marry me. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and he lay with her. Horrible, horrible events. After Tamar had warned him about God's law, about what would happen if he follows through with his sin and he refuses to listen. And now, to me, understand how I say this, the real heartache begins. That is horrible. I'm not saying that isn't a horrible act of what happened. But it gets worse. Notice what happens. Verse 15. We now see the horrible consequences of his sin. First of all, for Amnon. Then Amnon hated her. He hated her. With very great Hatred, so that the hatred which was which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. How quickly it turned. I'm not going to be graphic, but I can't help but wonder how long after he gets finished pleasing himself with her does he come to the conclusion, I want nothing to do with this person. I hate you. I despise you. Notice. And Amnon said to her, get up and go. But she said to him, no, my brother. For this wrong in sending me away is greater than what you've already done to me. Again, I don't have time to get into the weeds of this, but by the law, because he did do this, he was required to marry her. But he would not listen to her. And he called the young men who served him. And he said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. The Hebrew is even stronger than the English. It is basically, get rid of this king. Get her out of my life. 
Young girls, if a man ever treats you like this or holds sex over your head, you get away from him immediately. This is not love. This is lust. This is infatuation that once it is complete and acted upon, it produces hatred. Get this piece of trash out of my sight. I never loved her anyway. A person who doesn't respect your virginity, who doesn't respect your sexuality, they don't love you. They may think they do. But true love doesn't treat people like this. And we see that Immediately, his heart is hardened and his heart is turned. And yet she begs with him, don't do this. This is going to make it even worse. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves. I mean, what does that got to do with it? It was a sign of her virginity. As a princess, she was to wear the royal gown that would demonstrate that she was a virgin, that she was eligible to marry into royalty. For the, it explains a little bit, actually, the next section there. For thus she was a virgin, thus, for thus the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that, he had wore, that she wore because she had been violated. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying. Crying aloud as she went. He had ripped her heart out of her chest. She rips her clothes as an act of mourning. Signaling, signal, signaling that she had been violated. Now the next verse. Oh man. Curious to me. And her brother Absalom, remember him? Verse 1, Absalom's sister. Notice his first question. He sees her. She's crying. She's distressed. She has torn her clothes as an outward picture that she has been violated. What's the words out of his mouth? And her brother Absalom said, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? That's your first question. That tells me everybody in the family knew that Amnon was a scumbag. There's no shock. That's your first question. The first question when you see your sister broken and crying is, your brother Amnon didn't violate you, did he? I'm just, I'm just asking the question, where in the world would that idea come from if there wasn't indication in his character already that this was a man who would do this to his own sister? Now, Absalom's response is mixed. We give him credit for some, but not so much for others. He goes the old classic, let's cover this up route. Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. Don't, don't worry about it. It's okay. Don't, don't, don't get all fretty. Don't get all, you know, don't get all worked up about this. Cover it up. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. He cares for her. His initial counsel 
weak, cover it up, refuse it. Now we don't have time, we won't get into this. Absalom, all his day's coming. He's going to kill Amnon, we won't have time to get to it. But later in the text, he's going to curiously create a little plan, much like Amnon did to Tamar, to set Amnon up, and he's going to have him murdered two years later. But for now, let's just keep the peace. He's your brother. We can't say anything. Verse 21 is harder to read. When King David heard all of these things, he was very angry. Period. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. Let's look at the family responses. Cover it up. Don't say anything. It'll be okay, Tamar. It's all right. Just keep your mouth shut. And again, Absalom's going to get his revenge later. He gets a D. He at least cared for her. David gets, a, David gets an F here. David gets angry. And what does he do next? Nothing. Nothing. I want you to hear me carefully. Please hear what I say and understand my heart where I'm going to say this. This is an observation that I have made now for 20-some years. When I have met with people who have been through exactly or similar events of what, no, no event is the same, but something similar to this. They are hurt, angry at the person who violated them, no doubt. No doubt, rightfully so. In my personal experience of people I have spoken with, many of them, many, many of them, they are more angry at the people who covered it up, the people who ignored it, the people who did nothing, and worse, the people that consistently subjected them to the same person who had violated them even when they knew about it. I can't speak for Tamar's heart, but I can tell you this, that she is a broken woman, not just because of what her brother Amnon did, but because of what her brother Absalom did, and for what her father did. Nothing. Anybody can get angry, David. Now, I, I've, I've spoken to some of you in private about this, and I'm not going to take a, a bullet over this, but I would just simply say it's hard for David to confront the sexual sin of his son when he's done the exact same thing. Now, there may be other reasons why David doesn't say anything. There may be reasons why he doesn't confront Amnon. There may be reasons why he didn't encourage Amnon to follow the law where he was supposed to marry Tamar. He, it, I don't know why David didn't try to reconcile the family. I don't know why he didn't try to... I, I, I don't know why. But the text says he did none of that. None of that. It's a heartbreaking story. But it's one that unfortunately is far too common in our culture and in our world today. 
David became much more like Eli, who couldn't control his own family. He couldn't contain what he had opened when he sinned against Bathsheba. I leave you with a couple of closing applications today. One being, if, if you're here today or you're watching online or whatever, and you have experienced what happened to Tamar, something along the same lines, get help. It, it doesn't define who you are. I know it feels that way. There is hope in the gospel. There is forgiveness. There is power in what Christ can do. Again, I don't want to belabor it, but Michelle and I have met with many women. And we have seen, and men, and men. And we have seen them come through the process to where these events no longer define who they are. It's a hard process, but if this happened to you, it, it, it's, you're not unworthy. You're not a horrible person. It doesn't define you. I share this text with you today for a second reason. For those of you that maybe can't relate to this at all, you've never been sexually assaulted, you don't know anybody who has ever been, you, your spouse has never been, you, you have no connection with this. I bring this text to your attention so that you are aware that there are people sitting in your life, sitting in your pew, they are around you, that have experienced something very similar to this. Our responses matter. The responses of David and Absalom to me are weak and pathetic. As a church, and that means you, and that means me, we respond to people who have experienced this heartache with grace and mercy and, and lead them to the place where the gospel can restore their lives. Folks, in today's culture of moral confusion, the sexual re revolution rages on. Our culture refuses to practice restraint in the area of sexuality, and that's getting more and more so by the day. We certainly don't want to hear as a culture the message that Scripture has that places the boundary of sex between a husband and wife within a committed marriage. That's not a popular sell today, but that's what God's Word says. Sex is not the problem. Sex is not dirty. It's not wicked. It's not horrible. Sex within a marriage is a beautiful, wonderful thing to be experienced and to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. Not like this isn't love. It's lust, infatuation. We rejoice. At least I, I do. Maybe you rejoice. I pray that you do. With the decision that our Supreme Court made this week that helps protect the lives of unborn children. We praise the Lord for the step that the Supreme Court took this week. We're thankful for that. But we must understand that the fight is far from over. As the church, we must continue to stand for what is right in the sight of God. This includes protecting unborn children, and it includes protecting children from sexual predators, and our church will do all that we can to protect children. As a parent, do all that you can to protect your kids. 
Make sure that you are monitoring their activity online. Know who their friends are. Know them by name. Be engaged. Engage with what is taking place in their lives. Tamar's life is a tragedy. She was objectified, tricked, ignored, ravaged, and ultimately abandoned. It's a horrible story for this poor young woman who was godly, beautiful, wanted nothing more than to serve. The covering of the sin was arguably as painful or more painful than the, than the actual sin. And the pathway of sin may be pleasant in the beginning, but remember in the end there will always be a price to pay that will outweigh the fleeing pleasures of the sin that you engage in. So as I leave you this morning, as you think about this text, I think we are all reminded of our own sinfulness, certainly, but we also are reminded that in our culture of sexual confusion, of sexual immorality that is raging, as a church, we need to come alongside people, show them the hope that is in Jesus Christ, show them the gospel so that they can experience true, lasting healing. Pray with me. Father, I thank you this morning for this opportunity to share what for me is admittedly an uncomfortable text and yet it is it is here for us for a reason it's a heartbreaking story and god may we make sure that we are as a church aware of the people around us sitting beside us in our lives our family members maybe who have experienced what tamar did God, may we never take Absalom's approach and cover sin. May we never take David's approach to just be angry and do nothing. May we ever be a church that shows love and compassion to those who have been wounded, hurt by such selfishness. So God, I pray for healing for those that maybe have been in Tamar's shoes, male or female. And God, that maybe there are some here today that this message has stirred a hurtful memory, and that was not my intention. But God, use that to draw everyone's attention to your mercy seat and to your grace and your goodness and your power and your strength. And God, may we be reminded today that you are always good, even when it feels otherwise. And God will give you the glory for what you do in our closing moments.